and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Well, welcome to Bent Tree, everyone. It's good to see you guys here. What a wonderful, wonderful time of worship, and it's good to be back with you uh, last week. Uh, I Well, let me just say it this way. I, I made it like two and a half years through this whole pandemic, and then I caught COVID, uh, probably from uh, President Biden. I don't know. And... Um, and so it's good to be back. I'm, I'm back. I'm healthy. Uh, so I'm glad to be here with you. I miss you guys when I'm not here. And I'm standing out here just because, I don't know if you've noticed yet, because my shirt. Have you noticed my shirt? Someone gave me, it has my Jeep all over it. Now this is a wonderful gift. I'm just suggesting if you ever want to like get in good with a pastor, Hawaiian shirts, double X. How you doing? Well, if I haven't met you, my name's Paul Trimble. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, who's got their Bibles? Who's got their Bibles? Let's see those things. That's great. Good job. Bring your Bibles. If it's on your phone or it's a paper Bible, I like a paper Bible, but uh, you can also pull the notes up on your phone through that Bible app. Just go to events and to Bent Tree Church there uh, and keep those things out in your lap. Uh, check out what I'm saying if it's true. Let's turn to the Gospel of John chapter 5 as we continue in this series title, So That You May Believe. We are working our way through the entire book of John. If you're able, would you stand with me just in reverence as I read our text just for today. And um, remember when I finish reading our text, I'll say, this is the word of God. And you say, thanks be to God. Got it? Here it is. Starting in verse 15, the man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, The Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these that you will be amazed. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, So the son also gives life to whom he wants. The father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, so that all people may honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, uh, we just come to you in the matchless name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, our King. God, we we have praised you for what you have done in the past, uh, 
as we've read about your mighty works, your mighty power, how you have working, uh, worked through fallen men and women to accomplish your plans. We've seen how the, what the enemy meant for evil, you have used it for our good, your glory. God, you have told us that you are a just God, that all things will be made right and that justice will finally come to this earth, that you will punish the evildoer with perfect justice. <laughs> but God, thank you for your mercy, for your love as well, that you have called us out of sin, you've called us out of darkness into glorious light. And God, we were humbled. We are humbled because it wasn't because we were somehow good enough that you noticed us, but even though that we were the most vile sinners, that you brought us life through your son Jesus Christ on the cross. Your Holy Spirit has brought us life because of your sovereign love. So God, we remember your mercy and your love right now in light of the justice that we were owed. Father, we thank you for revealing your greatness to us in your love. We ask that you reveal who you are in these passages that we're studying. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, although we read verse 15 through verse 24 here, we'll be concentrating on verse 22. That's because we began this new section of scripture in the gospel of John where Jesus really begins to reveal to all these people and to us, his, his hearers, who he is as the Son of God. We call this Christology. It is the study of Christ Jesus, of who he claims to be. Let me just tell you, there's no greater thing we could study. Amen? What I'm saying it is, is this is big stuff. So far, we've looked at three of five claims that Jesus makes about himself in this little passage here. And although these three things have, well, let's just be honest, shaken us up a bit, because sometimes we get this view of who Jesus is in our little minds, but when we compare what we believe then to what we actually read in Scripture, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit begins to expand Correct the picture that we have in our head. Listen, it can startle us, can it? And, and it should when we're off. Because we begin to see Jesus for who he truly is as the Son of God. Now let's very quickly walk through those things we covered a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and remind ourselves where we are before we jump to verse 22. Cool beans? All right. If you missed last week, go back and pick up, or the last week I was here, uh, go ahead and pick that up wherever you get podcasts, or uh, it's on YouTube if you want to see my pretty face. Here it is. Number one, Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his essence or being. Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his essence or being. In the Trinity, or what sometimes we, uh, sometimes we refer to as the Godhead, we see one God represented in three distinct persons. All three persons of the Trinity share the exact same nature, yet are different and distinct in the role and the function they play inside that Trinity. They are distinct in their function and relationship to each other. The three coexist without any compromise or confusion. In other words, they never step on each other's toes. 
And this is very important to understand. Anything that is necessarily true of God, you can say is true of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That shakes us up, doesn't it, a little bit? All right, number two, Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his works. This is just all review. Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his works. Now, listen, if Jesus hears from the Father what he wants done and then carries out what that is, that means that Jesus has the ability then to do everything the Father does, right? Look at this, number three. Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his power and sovereignty. Now, this one blows our mind. Meaning that in his own power, in his own sovereignty, Jesus is on par with God the Father to actually be able to raise the dead back to life, both physically and spiritually. He has the power of God to raise the dead. Only God has that. And to make the decision to raise the dead back to life, both physically and spiritually, means he has the right to make that decision. Or in other words, Jesus is equal to God and how and when and where to call people to life in himself. So there's, uh, there's where we ended, right? Now, let's add to that list what Jesus is claiming about himself in this passage. You see it in verse 22. Here's the claim. Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his judgment. Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his judgment. Now let's look at verse 22. Jesus expands on what he's revealing about himself. Make sure what I'm saying to you lines up with scripture. Here it is. The father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Now, this one surprises most Christians, at least that have not studied in depth Jesus' own words very much. Because didn't you think that it was God the Father who is the ultimate judge? I have for years. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's absolutely not the case, according to Jesus. Now, you can almost see these religious leaders' faces just turning more red. Steam starting to come out their ears as Jesus says this. But, oh, man, when he gets to this one, it really, it's like the, the tea kettle. It's whistling. You know, it's like they can't handle this one. This one shakes us up too. Because I think most Christians think of Jesus as kind of the way to get to God. And that God the Father is the big guy in the sky with the long white beard who is the ultimate judge. But Jesus says in John 5, no, no. God the Father has given all judgment to me. And remember, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus goes further, even in Matthew 28 Verse 18, you remember when he says, all authority has been given to me both in heaven and on earth. Now remember, Jesus is talking to these religious leaders of the Jews and then this crowd of common Jews along then with his disciples, his followers. Now like a lot of things Jesus says in this section, there's a lot more to this than first appears. Today we're only going to hit this one big point of number four today, 
And we're not going to move on to number five, even for a couple of weeks, because that's because we're going to have to break this one up into at least two weeks, because there's just so much here, and I don't want us to miss any of it. Surprise, I'm going even slower. Because this one affects your immediate future. I mean you, everyone I'm locking eyes with right now. Everyone hearing my voice, this claim affects you, or I should say affects your future and therefore affects you how you should live now. I'll tell you, I'll tell you more of what I mean by that, by, uh, but just trust me, we're going to get there. You, you want to understand what Jesus is saying here about himself on this one for sure. Now last week when we said that Jesus has the authority to grant spiritual life to anyone he chooses to. And you might expect Jesus in number four here, it lines up perfectly with that. He has the sovereignty to judge as well. Now what we mean is that Jesus in this passage claims to have the authority to judge all of mankind or what we call on what we call the last day. That day has not come yet, but it will come. Now, I say that, it seems obvious, but there are some cults that claim they rely on the Bible that say judgment day and the last day have already occurred, but that's simply not true because you're sitting here. By the way, you know why we call it the last day? Because there are no days after that, like this. Now, we'll have heaven for sure, but there are no days after that. After the last day, This earth that you are sitting on is destroyed by fire by God himself. We're promised a new heaven and a new earth are created by God for believers to live with God in a perfect relationship with Christ Jesus as our king for all eternity. Someone say amen. Man, that's what we're living for, right? If you were here when we studied the book of Revelation a few years ago, we went verse by verse. We're doing like we're doing here with John. That's what the future holds. Judgment for all mankind. All this earth will come to an end. For Christians, there will be a relationship with God for all eternity in heaven for those that believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. But we've We'll also study what the other judgment entails next time we get together. An eternity uh, in judgment in hell for those that don't believe in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, can I just say, preachers generally don't like to preach on that. Be praying for me as I get ready to preach on that. And and please don't skip uh, just because it's a hard subject. Uh, Because it's probably uh, one you need to hear more than anything. Here's what I, I want you to, uh, what I want to get across to you today though. Judgment is a sobering future that Jesus is pointing out in verse 22, for sure, for sure. Even for Christians, there is some deep gulping that needs to go on here. Let's take a look at the big picture first. What does this last day of judgment look like for Christians specifically? That's where we're at today. The apostle Paul tells Christians that this last day of judgment looks like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. He says, for we must all, he's talking about all Christians, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now let me ask, who must appear before the judgment seat of Christ? All, in this case right here, this is talking about all Christians. When you see the word all or world or everyone, you always want to ask, is this everyone who ever lived? Or is this, what is this talking to? In this case, it's talking to Christians. He's addressing the Christians of the Corinthian church. And think about the meaning that is embedded in this verse. That the judge of all the earth, Jesus, also has all the facts completely. Because as Jesus claims to be the ultimate judge, as God, he is also all-knowing. That means he knows every thought that has ever taken place. Every action that has ever taken place. Now that's a huge claim Jesus is making to be the ultimate judge. We call this first judgment that Jesus will provide, uh, preside over at, at the last day. Here's what we call the judgment seat of Christ. Is a final judgment of how believers are rewarded based on how faithfully they served Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is a final judgment of how believers, Christians, are rewarded based on how faithfully they serve Christ. This is a good judgment, by the way. This is where Christians will receive what we call their crown of glory. Brothers and sisters in the faith, it is this event of when we, the redeemed, stand before the judgment seat of Christ, each one individually, that should motivate us to follow Christ with all our hearts. Now write this down. Every Christian is inevitably and ultimately accountable to Jesus Christ for how we live our lives. I'll explain what I mean in just a second. Every Christian is inevitably and ultimately accountable to Jesus Christ in how we live our lives. Now, when we say every Christian is inevitably accountable, it means that there is a time set that we will face Jesus Christ one-on-one. That day is getting closer, by the way. It's not getting bounced out. When we say every Christian is ultimately accountable, what we mean is that there is no higher authority that we will face. The buck stops with Jesus, right? There's no final court of appeals. He is the Supreme Court. The judgment seat here that Paul describes is this picture to show us this ultimate place where Jesus as Lord and King will sit on an elevated platform to evaluate believers' lives for the purpose of giving them eternal rewards. Now this might help you understand it more. Picture athletic runners back in the original uh, Greek Olympics, right? Now, I know they supposedly ran without any clothes. Put some clothes on them in your mind. So I don't want you to sin or anything. They run the race in front of this great crowd. And as they finish, the winner of the race walks up onto the stage and receives a crown from the king. The Greek word here is bima, which means elevated platform. Like this is a bima. 
Specifically in that, where athletes who had run races would be recognized for what they had won. For running the race. Now, Paul uses this picture all throughout the New Testament. The judge of those races would sit on a seat on the bema. Or we would call it the bema seat. And place a crown on the heads of the winners. You got the picture? All right, what Paul is describing for us here is that we Christians, at the end of our lives, will face the judgment seat of Christ, but not for our sins. Those have already been paid for by Jesus. Amen? Amen. Our sins are gone. Forgiven. This judgment by Christ Jesus is to bring to light and to recognize publicly all the activities each and every believer has accomplished during their lifetime. Now, the purpose then is to reward each believer according to how they lived their lives and to receive the praise straight from Jesus. Is this making sense to you? When it says good or bad, this is not referring to moral good or evil. This is important to make sense of. That's because that all our evil are our sins have been taken care of on the cross. No, what Paul is talking about here is a comparison of what we did and was worthwhile of eternal value to what we did that was a waste of time and worthless. Now, the big point here is Jesus is claiming to these religious leaders, to all these people, that he is the judge that believers will one day face in their reward. Now, as the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he writes the young pastor Timothy about leading his church. Young pastor Timothy is leading this, and Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.8, he says to Timothy, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Paul's about to die. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day the day we're talking about, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. So Paul's saying, it's not just me, it's all the believers. The apostle Paul is referring to this judgment seat of Christ where he will receive his reward, and he says, and all believers will receive their reward from Christ Jesus personally. Now the apostle James, Jesus' own physical half-brother, who would also become the the leader of the church in Jerusalem writes this about the judgment seat of Christ. Writing the same thing, James 1, 12, James says, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Underline the word test. Do you see that both these guys, Paul and James, are looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ? They're not scared of this because that is where they will receive their reward and hear Jesus say, say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, here's the deal. I think most Christians are oblivious about this coming judgment in how they actually live their lives. Otherwise, they would live their lives much differently. I I think most Christians play like this coming judgment does not exist. And although I'm very excited about this coming judgment that I'll face in front of Jesus, it also is very sobering, especially to pastors. Like it has me asking myself, 
Am I living the way that will bring glory to God, like make him famous, not me, him? Is my life counting? As Jesus makes his claim, it's not like we haven't been warned, have we? Over and over again throughout scripture from Genesis 2 through the book of Revelation, we're warned of the coming day of judgment. So we are constantly reminded to repent of our sins. I'm talking about Christians constantly reminded to repent of our sins, turn in faith once again to follow Jesus. Get rid. Now we're forgiven of them. He's saying, but you need to turn and live for me. The apostle Paul preached it this way in Acts 17 verse 30. He says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day When he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. Now, just for a second, underline that set a day. That's important. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now, who's this talking about? Jesus. Jesus. He's the one that raised was raised from the dead. Now, what gives Jesus the right to be the judge of the world, all the world, according to this? Right, God, but specifically the resurrection from the dead is proof that God is satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice as an atonement for sin, and it qualifies him to be the judge of everything. Now we say he's both truly man and truly God, Jesus. Because he's man, he can represent us, can't he? And because he's God, he can represent. He's the only one throughout all creation history that could do that. We've seen this in the last few times together, haven't we? The resurrection is God's approval of Jesus' life, the work of Jesus Christ, and the acceptance of all he did as a human on earth. (laughs) I love this. It is God the Father's amen to Jesus's it is finished. The other thing we've got to see here is that there is a date set in time. That's what I had you underline for this last judgment. Now, I want you to think about this. The clock is not being reset. There is a final buzzer. The last day judgment is coming and Jesus claims to be the judge. And on top of that, the writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 9, 27, and just as it is, Appointed for people to die once and after this judgment. I'm so sorry if this is a surprise to you. That, that you are going to die one day. Here's the deal. That day is set and you can't change it. Now, As a reformed pastor, I believe this. There is a day set that you are going to die. I don't think you can live one minute longer than that. And check this out. I don't think you can die one minute sooner. When the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. I wrote the, the, put the red in so you can know what he's talking about. In him, Jesus, we have, we, the redeemed, have also received an inheritance. Because we were predestined. According to the plan of one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. Now check this out. 
we were predestined according to the plan. Three quick things. First, there is a plan. Praise God. Second, God is the one carrying out the plan. Third, he is working out everything, right? According, in accordance with his what? His will, his purpose. What, what is the purpose? His plan. That means that the day of our birth, the day of our death, the day of everything that happens in your life, and certainly it means uh, all the parts in the middle there. It, I mean, that phrase works out everything, means everything in a believer's life. Now, and I think about this, if the Apostle Paul tells us how we are saved when he writes this, Ephesians 8, 2, 8 and 9, he says, for you are saved by grace, but through faith, and this is not from yourselves. In other words, you don't have it. It is God's gift, talking about faith, not from works, so that no one can boast. It's then... Look in your lap at your Bible, verse 10, that he tells us the purpose of our salvation. Tells us how, now he's going to tell us the purpose. For we are his workmanship, underline workmanship, an important word. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now what's incredible here to me is that not only are we saved with God's plan, But the plans that he has for our lives because he saves us are prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, don't get the wrong picture. It's not in time ahead of time. It's before time that the works are created for you to do. Now, pay close attention. The word workmanship is an interesting Greek word here. This is where we get the the English word for poem. Like roses are red, violets are blue. That's the whole thing I know of, of rhyming. We get our English word for poem from it. The New Living Translation translates that word as, I love this, masterpiece. Mm. God created this masterpiece, your life. Doesn't feel like a masterpiece, does it? Listen to Jesus' instruction to his followers and how to live their lives on earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to Look at this, glory to your Father in heaven. What's interesting is that word glory is a way of saying light. When Jesus instructs us to let your light shine before others, I take that to mean the good works we do. Don't you? In how we live our lives. And then you take our teaching we saw in Ephesians 2. That God prepared those works beforehand, before time. It really shows us that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In eternity past to live our lives in such a way that it would bring glory to the world. To God uh, in the world. Another way to say it is that if God 
has planned all these good works for us to do, we should walk in them, and that means that we should be intentional in pursuing his glory in these works. Now, God gives us both natural and spiritual gifts, right? Here's where this this ties in with Jesus claiming to be the judge for Christians and their works. Write this down. A Christian's works add nothing to our justification. A Christian's works add nothing to our justification. That was bought by Jesus, amen? But what they do is to demonstrate the legitimacy of our faith. By the way, this is one of the big things in the Reformation that set us apart from what the Catholics still teach and believe, that is both faith and your works that save you. Our reward in heaven will determine, be determined by how well we accomplish these works prepared beforehand. The measure of accomplishments will be judged based on the extent of accomplishment and our heart attitude in accomplishing them. By the way, the works accomplished with a begrudging heart and a bad attitude don't count. <laughs> Parents, you get this already, don't you? You tell your, your son, your daughter, go clean your room. It's not clean. The next day you say, clean your room. Third day, it's still not clean. You go, hey, I want you to go in right now, clean your room. That child screams in your face and says, no, I'm not going to clean my room. And you say, go. And they go in and they slam their door to clean the room. Do they get credit for cleaning the room? No. Because of bad attitude. In the Old Testament, Jonah is told by God, you remember this, to go to Nineveh to preach the repentance to the people there. But Jonah runs away. He gets swallowed by a giant fish and bleh, split up. <laughs> that was my throw up sound. He says, go do it again. Go clean your room. <laughs> go tell them to repent. Finally, he does what God says to do, but he's all sulky about it to the very end. Does he get the reward for that? I don't think so. The Bible describes Christian salvation and justification from sin as the foundation we start from. Amen? That's where we start. Let's get down to some brass tacks then, what Jesus is referring to in John five twenty two, and the judgment his followers will face. You want to know what this is about? Here it is, baby. Think about that salvation as the foundation of the Apostle Paul he's referring to as we read this judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. Talking about salvation. Whoop. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw... Each one's work will become obvious. Now watch close. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through a fire. Do you get this picture that the Apostle Paul is showing us? 
This analogy describes what the final judgment of Christians looks like. The judgment of Christ for Christians is like a fire that will test what we have built with our life in Christ Jesus. Will it last through the judgment of fire by Jesus or not? For believers, now, think about this. How we live our lives produces results one way or another. And either those results are things of value, things that will last through the refining fire on that last day of judgment. Paul describes those results being like gold, silver, costly stones. He says it's like that. He didn't say it's that. He's not saying we actually produce gold, silver, costly stones. No. In other words, the good things we produced in this life as a result of how we lived our life in following Christ are said to be things that will survive the fire of that last judgment. And we'll be rewarded for those things on that last day. Now, we don't have to t- time to go much into this part, but let me just address, let me just touch on each one, uh, just a few things that will survive, I think, the refining fire based on Scripture. Changed lives that are in the kingdom because we were unafraid to share the gospel with a neighbor, a co-worker, our children, our family member. God's love demonstrated to the world by loving the unlovely. The money, the resources that we give back to God at Bentry, we call giving here our tithe, the base 10 giving. Now listen close. What we call it that is where we start. That the first 10% of our income, you go, well, I give that. Well, God goes, that's mine already. Thanks. That's where we start from. Any amount you give over and above what God has said is your treasure you're laying up in heaven. Do you see that? You could think of that as base 10 plus The plus is what you're rewarded for. In other words, what you give over and above the 10%. Is that clear? People are going, I don't like when Pastor Paul talks about giving. It's in in the Bible. And other things that will survive the judgment could be, I would think, pouring into children as a Sunday school teacher Listen to me, every time you hear me preach, you hear these little old ladies from my childhood who poured into me in Sunday school. I say little old ladies, they were probably like 35. You know, when you're a kid, you know, they're like, everyone's old. Or how about this, leading a D3 group for middle school students, high school students, there's like a cold chill went down your spine, didn't it? There's some real treasure there that very few Christians get to lay up. You could. How about this? Mamas and daddies pouring into their children just after dinner, doing a devotional each night. There's some gold. A D3 group leader that opened her home and discipled a group of ladies. All those would result in gold, I think. Jewels, silver, precious stones that survive the judgment Paul is describing now. But what is the result of the things Christians produce that are not of eternal value? Paul compares those kinds of things 
produced like that is wood, hay, or straw. Uh, your Old uh, Testament, or I'm um, sorry, like King James, I think, says stubble. I like that. Notice that those things burn up easily in a hot fire and quickly. What could come of some of those things? What are some of those things? Could it be some of the career, careers we've built? Could it be the glory we achieve for ourselves instead of God? Boy, I've done that. Could it be the time I wasted on my phone this last week by reading every bit of news that I could find on Facebook? Folks, stuff doesn't have to be evil for it to not make it through the final fire of Jesus. As believers, we stand before him in that judgment. There's a lot of okay things that'll just burn up. Now, let me be clear. Let me be clear. True Christians won't lose their salvation at the judgment seat of Christ. Instead, they will be rewarded based on the fire-tested quality of the fruit of the works produced, of their works produced. True Christians won't lose their salvation at the judgment seat of Christ. Instead, they will be rewarded based on the fire-tested quality of the fruit of their, their works produced. Now look again. I know there's a lot, but we've got to move on. 1 Corinthians 3.15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Listen to me, friends. Listen closely. Many of us are in danger, not necessarily of losing our salvation and going to hell. You are in danger of missing the life that God has for you in heaven because how you lived your life on earth. Believe in Christ Jesus. Believe in Christ Jesus. As a Christian, I want to ask you uh, to ask yourself a, a question if you believe in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What if I succeed in life at the wrong things and then miss all that could have been in heaven? What if I succeed in life at the wrong things, and then miss all that could have been in heaven. Like you're still saved, but you missed all the rewards once you got to heaven that God had planned for you because you chose to invest your time, your money, your labor into stuff that will, in the end, not matter eternally. You could say the worst seat in heaven is infinitely better than the best seat in hell. I I would agree with that. Do you see why I want you to go deep to grow deep though? Your faith, I want you to have massive amounts of reward in heaven because of the life you live through Christ Jesus. Can I just be really vulnerable and transparent for a moment? This is big for me. It's why I became a pastor. Not everybody's called to be a pastor, I'm not saying that. It's one of the reasons I I was called to be a pastor. Here it is, because you, the members of Bentry Church, are what I am responsible for. And I want you to be gold, silver, and precious stones. 
I want you in heaven, yes. But I want your life to count for the kingdom of God while we're here so that you are rewarded in heaven. Listen, as your pastor here at Bentry, we, we want you to find out how you fit into God's eternal plan of redemption. This takes some concerted effort on your part, some intentional time seeking God, but it will be worth it in the long term. That's because he will reveal to you what he has designed you to be in the kingdom of God from before time began. By the way, please understand that even if you just make it into heaven, everything and everything that you've ever done is burned up. This is still true of what we read in Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe away every tear. From their eyes, death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Heaven is still there. Your relationship with Jesus is still there. Brothers and sisters, as believers, we don't have to fear the judgment seat of Christ Jesus. Instead, we can look forward to it. And let me let it motivate us in how we live our lives daily. That each decision that we make, we can ask, does this decision, does this action build the kingdom of Christ Jesus? Do my words, do my thoughts, build the kingdom of Christ Jesus. Let me address something, one more thing before we close our time here. And I know it's on the mind of many of you. What if you feel today that you have succeeded at the wrong things in life? Maybe you're older and you have this feeling that you have failed. But you're a Christian and you want to make your life count, but you go, it's too late. Here's what I want you to know. Take your hand for just a minute. Put it on your chest. Sometimes it takes a little bit, but feel the actual beating. Be real still. Breathe in and out. Listen to me. That beating, that breathing in and out is caused By God. What I'm saying then. Is if you are still alive. And living. God has plans for you. And there is still time to glorify him with your life. I don't think you realize. The effect. On the world. Your life would have. If you. Leaned into this church. If you leaned into following Jesus to totally surrender to the work of Jesus Christ in your life. Like like if you were to say, Jesus, no matter the number of my days left, you can have them all. Show me how to live. Then engage the world through ministry in this church with other Christians through sharing the gospel, through discipling others, through serving God. There's no telling What God can do for a heart that is truly surrendered to his plans with their life. (laughs) I get that little picture. You remember the little boy with the sack lunch? He hands it over to Jesus and Jesus feeds the thousands. What if you handed over your little sack lunch the days you have left to Jesus? What could he do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
I look at how I've spent my life up to this point and God, I'm sorry that I didn't take advantage of the time you have given me like you wanted me to. But God, you can have all my tomorrows. Show me how to constantly stay in repentance. Show me how to give my life over. Show me how to make it count. God, I pray that for the, my brothers and sisters at Bentry Church, that you would show us how to live our life that would produce gold, silver, precious stones, change lives, baptisms, people that are in the kingdom because this group of people live their lives sold out. God, thank you for our time today. Would you help us to not just leave this here, but to take this home and how we live our lives? It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.